welcome to the Through the Lens of Learning podcast. If we haven't met, hello, I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Schroyer. I'll give you two words that summarize me to a T, lifelong learner. Join me as I share a bit about my own journey of curiosity, learning, and wonder. You'll also get to hear from some phenomenal individuals on what they're curious about learning and what they have to share too. Are you itching with excitement yet? I am, so let's get started. Thank you, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Through the Lens of Learning, and I am joined by Mark Baer today. So, Mark, thank you for joining me on this episode. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Mark is somebody who I have never met before, Um, so a lot of my podcast guests, um, up until probably the last season or so, I knew quite a few of them, like um, through social media or different things like that. But Mark, you were introduced and highly recommended to me by Stella Bowen, who is one of my former students. Um, so I appreciate you taking the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with us today on this episode. Yeah, no, I'm glad to do it. I'm glad we were able to connect. Yes. Um, so Mark, one of the first things that I do with my guests is I ask how you define learning. So would you share? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it really starts with like internal motivation um, and curiosity to want to in, to go out there and want to discover new things. And then I think an ingredient is passion, you know, as well. Um, and then as you're out there sort of encountering new information, and I think that's also another key is like things that you are not, aware of had not been aware of previously that are new to you um then just you know to one degree or another kind of you know delving into them and you know maybe the learnings or the information you get uh and it can be in all sorts of different senses like you know I hate that ice cream flavor I just learned (laughs) that I tried. Or it could be like more traditional, you know, information. I tend to read almost exclusively nonfiction when I read, which is not a great thing that I'm proud of, but it's because I feel like I don't have a lot of time and I want to learn something new I can apply. So that's like the last thing is like, I'm always looking for things that I, that are new that I can apply to my life. Although I don't think that that is the case for, for everyone you know, that it has to be something applicable, or sometimes you're not even aware that you're applying something or thinking in a way that's different as a result of something that you've learned. Right. Thank you. Yeah, you hit on some of my big words, curiosity, passion, motivation. I love it. Love it. So Mark, one of the things that we do on the, the podcast episodes is I talk more about your learning journey. And people have numerous different learning journeys in their life. Um, so interested in what you want to focus on for our episode today. Yeah, I just feel really fortunate because I feel like I've had different learning journeys. Some have been parallel and some have been in different dimensions. So, you know, I had a pretty traditional learning journey when it came to academics. I went to high school, I went to college, I went to grad school, which not everyone does, but it's not unusual for people to do that. And then your learning journey, so that whole learning journey. Um, When I was in college, I had always taken French as the language going back to, I think it was seventh grade. Um, So when I went to college, I decided I wanted to study abroad in Paris. And that launched a whole other learning journey, which in some ways, 
you feel like you're back to where you started when you were little, almost, as far as the language goes. And I, I found it so fascinating. Like it was almost like an experiment I was doing on my on myself, how that progressed, you know, from going over there. I'd never traveled. I had never traveled outside of US except for Canada, which um, many people don't count because it's similar, but it's not exactly yeah. the same uh, as our country, but very, it, when you compare it to like a French speaking country compared to Paris pre-internet. So there was very little English over there. So the learning journey was the language at first. And it was, you know, in your head, you're translating, you're trying to keep up, then you're translating and you're back translating. And then you realize that's impossible. You can't do that. And then you can't, not only do you have not like to have the firepower to do that, but you garble everything, <laughs> so many things. And then I have so many <laughs> funny stories about saying things that were just a direct translation, which I learned in an embarrassing fashion. Um, don't translate directly. Um, so, uh, and then you, for me, it was like this journey was then gradually things happen in the real world. Like you want to order bread or you bump into someone by accident and you just say the word in the other language because you're now associating it with something in the physical world uh and it's disinter you've disintermediated english completely and then those little expressions at least for me got longer and longer and longer until there's no english anymore just evaporated and you're just responding uh, in that language. And I just, last thing I'll say on that was, for me was like the pinnacle of that learning journey was at the end of my time there, I was living with a brother and a sister who were French for like six months. And I, I knew their friends and everything and hung out with them all the time. We we're always speaking in French. And so we were out once and there was a group of us and someone in the group said something. And I responded with the exact same expression at the exact same moment as my French roommate you know, who's a native speaker. And I was like, yeah. okay, that's it. I got what he said. I, I, I processed it in the same way. I reacted in the same way. So there was, you know, there was no English. So I was like, okay, that was great. I feel like I'm fluent in French. Um, so that was a wonderful learning journey. And I think that we can, and I decided I was going to learn, you know, recently, more recently decided I was going to learn how to play guitar. And um, I kind of considered that like a journey too. I was really mm -hmm. passionate. I always loved music, I had no background in it. So I think that you can refresh your outlook in so many different ways without doing, I guess maybe that's the wonderful thing about a journey. Like, you know, I like, love that metaphor, but I never thought about it this way. It's sort of like you can start again in yes. a different dimension. Yes. Love that. Love that. So you were in, have you gone back to France since then? Yeah, I went back a few times. Um, I actually played on a basketball team there in my high, uh, high school when I was at the university, which is a whole different way of learning. Language. Wow. <laughs> and it was like this like not not standard language in some cases. Uh, but the most recent time that I had um, an experience that brought me back to my time there was, and it, this is, again was fascinating how my brain works. And I assume everyone's just most people's do. As um, over last summer, I was in New York City, and I had the dog. We had a dog, my, my dog with me, um, our family dog. And we we're walking in a park, and I had heard this: these two adults and this woman, young woman, look like parents and and, a, and their daughter. It seemed, and they were speaking French, and they were speaking a type of French that I recognized as being like kind of like your mainstream sort of. Parisian French and um, uh, for me because I lived in Paris so I recognized it and 
I happened to be walking by them with the dog who did something. The dog like was pulling in one direction. And I just said something to my dog in, uh, actually to them, it turned out in French, just, this was like the switch was turned on, you know, and I was thinking in French again, you know, at least for this expression. So, um, I didn't go back to, I said, this year we're going to go to England in, a, in July. So that's maybe the closest we'll, we'll get, but, um, yeah, I haven't been back in many years. Okay. All right. So in the different journeys that you've had, do you find that there's similarities, um, no matter what your journey is? Yeah. I was thinking too, like, you know, when you have kids, so we have, you know, now they're 15 and 17, but when they were little, particularly for the first one, um, that's like a very, <laughs> that can be a tricky journey and you learn a tremendous amount too. Um, so that one, you know, completely different dimension. You start a new job, you know, you're learning new skills um, and it can be stressful, you know, for the job and for the, you know, when start the, the job journey, particularly like maybe when you're starting out, like right out of college, for example, like your first couple of jobs, you're learning a lot. And then when you have that first kid, if you have children, you're learning a lot and you can feel, you know, the same kind of things like kind of imposter syndrome in a sense. Like, I can't believe I'm a parent. Like, how funny is that? <laughs> Somebody's you know. trusting me with this. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yeah, you get these different journeys, learning journeys throughout life. But I think trying to embrace it and it was it's easier like the french thing was easier the guitar thing was you know much easier as far as that goes like look i'm i know i'm not gonna be a mice like a pro and i you know i just i really am enjoying the journey and i'm actually kind of having fun that i'm a novice and my daughter is another story which i need to go into but she was learning she's i i sort of learned guitar so that i thought it could um, move her from ukulele to guitar to electric guitar <laughs> Cause I thought it would be a good way to connect with her. And, and it did. And the fact that she's so much better than me was like, I love that, you know, it was fun. <laughs> Still That's awesome. And we were even talking before we jumped on just about our podcast journey and, you know, learning as we go through that too. Yeah. And I, I think that this is why I think your show is so great is because I think we can be really hard on ourselves. And if we reframe these experiences as, learning journeys and opportunities to learn and bring in new aspects into our, whether it's our personality or our way of thinking, however you want to describe it, then we tend to be sort of maybe more patient with, with ourselves. Like, you know, this, mm -hmm. this new experience is, it's a journey. Like I, you know, like try to ease up and I'm going to get benefits even if I'm not performing at an A plus, I'm still getting these other benefits through learnings, for example. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be all or nothing. It's, you learn as you go. Yeah. I even, as you're talking more and saying learning journeys a couple of times, I was even thinking of like my PhD studies and uh, trying to equate that to, uh, I trained, and this was a procrastination method for me, trained for a half marathon in the midst of my dissertation and then trying to get back on track with the dissertation I had a mentor say, hey, let's talk about each mile, you know, is a different piece of your journey for your dissertation. So yeah. there are definitely a lot of similarities along the line for our journey. Yeah. I like that incrementalism too, because mm -hmm. it can seem overwhelming. Um, you know, like someone said, you're going to run a half marathon. Say, well, 
I mean, you know, it's the cliche about the longest journey begins with a single step. That's another thing mm -hmm. I should just warn you is that having spent so much time working in the U.S. Congress, I have a cliche for every possible situation. <laughs> uh, but it is kind of true. I mean, cliches are cliches because they're they're true usually. Yeah. So, Mark, can you share with us? You had mentioned about being in working with Congress. Can you share with us, like, after your academic journey, like, where? you know, what did you start to do and business-wise and kind of led you to where you are today? Yeah, thanks. So after I graduated, I actually did start working um, in the U.S. House of Representatives. So we've got the House of Representatives in the U.S. Senate. And I did that for, and that was uh, a steep learning curve because um, there's just, you know, the speed um, and the volume of things coming at you is unlike I'd say most places. Um, and I did that for about four years and really enjoyed that. I left and I went to graduate school um, at uh, Harvard Harvard's um, Kennedy School of Government. And I did that for two years. And again, I had a, you know, going back after almost five years, going back to school. I mean, that's first semester. And I did all the, I, I as calmly as sort of we're talking about like, you know, be kind, be kind to yourself. Like <laughs> that was thrown out the window. I was like feeling right. all these smart people around me. And I, I just felt completely lost and, and was not happy that first semester at all. Yeah. Um, getting better a little bit. Yeah. I felt yeah. like there was tremendous pressure and I, anyway, so, um, got better second semester and second year was much better, but, um, then after that, I worked for a management consulting firm, um, which was really cool. Um, it was an opportunity to work on different projects. I moved back to Washington, D.C., but instead of living um, in the city itself, like I did when I were, had previously worked in the, uh, on Capitol Hill in the, in, the, in the Congress, I moved across the river to Arlington, Virginia. Um, so I wanted a different experience. I think that's part of, you know, always looking for different kind of journeys. Like for me, mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have been very excited to go back and live in the same city where I had lived before grad school. I wanted something new. Um, and I did that um, for the Magic Sales Company for about two years. And I learned a lot about dealing with people and also working with different types of people. Um, these were people who didn't, well, they had some sort of government background um, in their or public policy, however you want to think about it, in their, in their um, professional histories, but it wasn't just working with other people who, who really had done that full time. Um, then I was, uh, I went to a, a, a startup um, that had nothing to do with government and it was deliberate too. It was like, I want to just get away from this because I feel like I've spent, you know, working in government, majoring in government, going to Kennedy school of government. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> I need, so, um, the, the, was that a rough transition? Um, it, it, going to the, going to the startup was a bit of a rough transition. Uh, I was, I went over my pro the project manager on my last management consulting project, um, left, went over there and he convinced me, he persuaded me to go over there with him. So I knew him, but I wasn't like, working okay. with him. And yeah, you, now I was working with a lot of MBAs and, programmers and salespeople. And it was, you know, it was a startup, so it was relatively small. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely uh, a learning experience. And then um, after the 9-11 attacks, my office on Capitol Hill, because the startup was in Arlington, Virginia too. So it's just over the river from Capitol Hill, Washington. Um, my old office from previously uh, who had worked there before grad school called me and said like, 
you know, we're kind of in the middle of a lot of things here. Are you interested in coming back? Um, and I did um, do that. It was really important for me. I was feeling like I needed to get back into the game. I feel like I, I felt mm -hmm. like I had touched the other some other bases, and I really wanted to go to, back to my passion. Um, and I stayed for 15 years on the second wow. lap around, <laughs> and that included um, serving as a chief of staff in the House of Representatives, and then serving as a chief of staff in the U.S. Senate. Uh, going through two Senate campaigns um, with wow. my boss. And then I was coming up on 20 years, like combined between right after undergrad and then the second tour. And I just thought, you know, I want to do something different. I want to learn something new. And, and then I started this business really helping scientists and engineers and technical people communicate to non-scientists and non-technical people in a variety of different settings. So um, I learned what how to build a website and how to put together a marketing plan and how to put together a podcast which is as you know it's a, it's a continuously learn it's a continuous learning process mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's what i do now pretty that's that's my full-time job is working with um, big research universities um with um, big companies where there are a lot of phd scientists um and uh and also um, foundations too, um, but all around the same kind of idea, like how how can we effectively communicate what we do to the people who could really influence our, our job and our ability to get things done. Right, right, yeah. So one thing I took some notes while you were talking, when you talked about being a chief of staff for numerous areas, um, it made me think of, I'd be remiss if I don't ask you the question, is a chief of staff role similar to what they show on TV for <laughs> government? <laughs> well, like, so like West Wing or something? Yes. Um, I will tell you that it's a really hard job. Um, and it looks like it, yeah. It does have elements of like, I think it was Leo, was that Leo? Like, there's like a lot of, it's, it's things that are, really that require a lot of judgment um, and making judgments uh, often under very tight time frames that can have, you know, big consequences dealing with in delicate situations. Um, politicians generally don't like to say no to people. <laughs> so sometimes you're the bad guy, right? <laughs> no, you deliver the bad news. And so, <laughs> so that can be, you know, that can be tricky. Um, you know, other times it's just, you know, it's highly visible. You're dealing with people who are well-known and the boss is off at a meeting and you're kind of talking with them or bringing them over, or, you know, and you're, you're in, interacting with them. And that's when you realize that, you know, whether it's a Senator or this, you know, somebody, you know, a the celebrity type person, like just deal with them like you would, your neighbor that you like, you know, yep. and it'll be fine. Um, and uh, it always was, you know, you know, that so in that in that kind of situation. But I think the big thing is being able to juggle multiple things at the same time and try to keep, you know, keep your your head on straight and, you know, keep things, you know, keep things calm um, and try to, you know, just uh, prioritize you get it, you get really good at um, prioritizing between the super important and the urgent. Right, because everything is high up there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe a lot of that. Yeah. So what are some of the things that maybe you learned from your time doing that for that 15-year span that are helping you today and what you do today? 
Yeah, I like that. I think, you know, the the essence of kind of what I do is is teaching people how to distill all this information that they have about their work and really distill it down to the not just the essence, but the not just make it short, I should say, mm-hmm. um, but also zero in on what's so imp- what's the thing that's uh, most important to your listener or your reader in what you do. So it's really all starts with, and this is a, a big learning that I had from the Hill is, you know, it kind of starts with an assessment or a research into what is moving your audience or your listener, what motivates that person, who does that person listen to, um, and maybe even similarities that you have with that person. These are things that I, I teach and sort of, I call it kind of like a, I, well, I say, com, I always say connect before you communicate, mm, I like you, know, that. you know, and, and people think, oh, it's just small talk. Like it doesn't mean it. Like it's, it's a waste of time. Let's just get right to the substance and say, well, I mean, that's like, you know, that's your, here's another cliche coming. That's your, you know, ready, shoot, aim. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you don't even know where you should focus your you have so much information. You have so little time. You can't you know, you really want to be intentional about this and say, OK, great. And and say, well, how do I become intentional about it? And these are some of the elements to look for. You know, uh, it's it's really it's not know your audience. I, I hate that. I just my mm-hmm. newsletter, I actually just put out uh, last week's edition was uh know your audience is a useless cliche. Here's what you should do instead to make your presentations come alive. You know? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah. And I wonder, cause you had said com- connect before you communicate. I wonder how much of that even comes from you were talking about your journey of being able to study abroad in Paris. And the reason I make that connection is because I have worked in my full-time position with a lot of people overseas and specifically in the UK. And one of the things that they've taught me a lot is not to rush right into here's what we need to work on. It's how are you doing? How's the weather? Get to know them about their kids and you know, what do they like to do and things like that. So it's kind of slowed me down and helped me to build those relationships a lot more. And that, that makes me think of what you're talking about connecting before you communicate. Yeah, for sure. You have to open the channel of communication first. And that's where this connect before you communicate comes from. Um, why should I listen to you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people generally, you know, there are so many different dynamics. This is where sort of politics from a, a small P, you know, um, attitude like influence and how do you, uh, how you, uh, you know, you know, how do people decide whether to listen to you or not, even if they're physically in front of you? You know, and it's all of these things that you do to really be relatable. And mm-hmm. it has to be authentic and honest. I always say that to people. It just re- it just revolves around what do I say? There are so many things I could say, mm-hmm. things that I normally would say. But, you know, you start to think, oh, you learn guitar. Oh, I just, you know, started learning guitar, too. And this is what I'm struggling with. And it humanizes you, right? Yes. And um that can particularly be important. My, my old boss was really good at this too, is that, you know, you want to, you want to, if you want to have a communication with someone else, like you don't want this like hierarchy going on. Um, that just divides people. Cause it's a dis you're distancing yourself from that person. Or maybe the, 
because of your roles, you are in fact distant because you have authority over this person. And that's a very different, and I would say kind of counterproductive communication dynamic because it almost seems like you're dictating to me or you're telling me what to do. And people naturally resist that. Right. So the way I kind of deal with it is just be, you know, think about, I say, think humanity before hierarchy, you know, because oh, like find that. out these things yeah. that, like you were talking about, like relate on a human basis. And it, it changes the whole ballgame. Mm -hmm. Just saying that in the research that I had done uh, for my dissertation, it was looking at downsizing managers. And one of the new themes that I was able to identify is that the individuals that I talked to that had to go through that downsizing, they were treating their employees as human beings. They were being very humane about how they were having to go about the layoffs. And that makes a world of difference, you know, to people when you can, you know, treat them with respect and and um, even despite something difficult that they have to go through. Yeah, yeah. And even little things can be very, have taken on outsized importance in that area. You might not think it's like a big deal, but you know, where do you tell the person this news? Like, is yeah. a person gonna like have to come into your office and you know, you're behind your desk with your hands folded and they're like, you know, sitting in this chair. Right. Or, you know, you're, a, so I just love that kind of stuff. I'm just fascinated by it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So Mark, we don't have a ton of time on the episode. I would love to be able to connect more and maybe even have you on a future episode. Um, you've done a lot of fascinating work. It sounds like you've had a lot of amazing learning journeys and you still have a long way to go from what you're doing. It sounds like, um, but Mark, if there are people who are listening that want to connect or follow you, they want to get on your newsletter, which I definitely want to do. Um, how would we go about doing this? The first thing you can do is just go to oneforTheweek.com, just spelled out, O-N-E-F-O-R-W-E-E-K.com, oneforTheweek.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter. And it is one communication, persuasion, the things that we're talking about here, really, one piece of nugget of insight. It's not always mine. I love sharing other people's ideas, and I learn a ton from that. And you get it on Sundays. Um, and it's just one thing that maybe you can apply or learn. I'm always happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. So if you go to LinkedIn and you just put in um, Mark Bayer, B-A-Y-E-R, M-A-R-K-B-A-Y-E-R, there are several of us I've learned, um, but there's only one with my background. So um, you, can, you can find me that way. But yeah, I, I would love to continue the dialogue with you, Tracy, you're, you know, what you do is really, really interesting to me and, and motivational. So thanks for, for having me on and also for, for giving people the, the forum through your podcast. Yeah. Thank you again, Mark. Um, and thank you for everyone listening. Um, and we'll hope you catch us on the next episode. This podcast is brought to you by Tracy Schroyer, PhD, LLC. Learn more about what Dr. Tracy offers at www.tracyshroyerphd.com. While you're there, sign up for the free five steps to build a solid professional development plan. Don't forget to subscribe and like the Through the Lens of Learning podcast here too. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.